welcome to episode 11 of the Alec Hogg Show, a long-form audio biography where we delve into the lives of interesting South Africans. Our guest in this episode is the independent-minded economist, Chris Hart. A former science teacher who did a BCom because he thought it would help when one day he became a headmaster, that degree instead was a ticket into a bank's dealing room. Hart's innovative approach to interpreting economic data helped the traders he advised to make a packet through his contrarian forecasts that more often than not trumped the consensus. He hit the headlines almost five years ago when targeted by political interests ahead of South Africa's fractious 2016 municipal elections. This gentle giant refused to be bowed by a social media mob that itself was fueled by the noxious and unlamented Bell Pottinger. Not so the corporation, which only three months previously had headhunted Hart because of his independent mindset. It blinked and he was gone. It's a fascinating story of a life punctuated by personal challenges, including the murder of his identical twin brother. Yet Chris Hart remains in the service of his less fortunate fellows and an inspiration to the rest of us. Here's his story. I taught for about 13 years. I was a career teacher. When I qualified, I actually then studied to become because I thought, well, in education, you, you get promoted into management and, you know, ultimately not um, into your speciality. How did you get into teaching in the first place? I actually wanted to teach. My we- father was also a teacher. I grew up on a teacher's salary on the East Rand uh, in um, Oxburg. Uh, <laughs> I have to say it's so quietly. Isn't Char- oh no, Charlize is from Benoni? That's, the, that's yes. like the Houghton of Boxburg, isn't Something it? Something like mm. that, yes. And before that? Primary school was in Benoni, and in high school I went to a school called King Edward High School, which was apparently a very good high school. Extremely well known. Yes. But then you go into teaching. Yeah, I taught at JP. I left JP after about eight, it was nine years on, on promotion as head of department at Glen Vista High School. Now, also reading through the various pieces that there are on the internet, it said that while you were at JP, so was Jake White. That's correct. We started our careers together. It was the bottom prefab. He was in the one and I was in the other. Uh, that's where we started. Are you still in touch with him? No, not really. Um, it's a pity, but you know, Jake White, I always thought, was one of the most outstanding rugby coaches. He could put a team together. He had an eye, not necessarily for individual brilliance, but how people fit together in a team. And that's why I think he, he succeeds as a coach. It's interesting to note that you both started off as teachers and you also uh, achieved great prominence in your own career. And we know Jake White coached the Springboks to win the World Cup. Is that a a route that you're seeing more and more from people who perhaps start off as educators and then do something else? Well, well, one of the things I found as an educator, you sit there and you you think, what else can I do? You almost get trapped in that environment. But people who move out of it tend to do very, very well. 
I remember moving into the dealing room at, at EPSA and they were all looking at me and saying, you know, my personality, you know, would I fit in with that stress? And I can remember a few months later, I thought, where is the stress that they're talking about? <laughs> because teaching is a very, very stressful, it's one of the most stressful careers you can actually do. And that's on a measured scale. I think air traffic control it might beat it and, and that type of thing. But I think the reason is that you are dealing with people all the time, pushing, pushing, pushing. And that's what actually puts the strain and um, you know, stress on it. So the career I went into in, in terms of um, economics and doing presentations to groups of people, that suited me very, very well. You know, the one thing I didn't have to do when you actually doing presentations and tell people to sit, sit up, do your tire, mm. have you done your homework, etc. pay attention. <laughs> so all of that stress was gone, so really something I could really flourish and enjoy it. Were you a good teacher? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, I rate myself as a reasonably good teacher. Uh, where I thought my, my real speciality was, was not really getting the good kids through, but actually taking the weaker kids through, because I really be- believed from a, a subject point of view, I taught physical science. It was a compulsory subject at JP, and at Glen Vista, I pushed to keep it as, you know, that you must take, take at least one of the sciences. If it's not physical science, at least biology. And the reason I had for that is that you can study anything at tertiary level. You do not have to have studied it at primary or secondary level. You can start from scratch with any subject except maths and science. If you haven't done that, you've closed your doors to a whole universe. And that's why I would always encourage people to stick with maths and science, even if you're struggling. And with all your other subjects, take what you like and what you enjoy. It really doesn't matter on your subject choices. But on that, you know, my efforts, particularly at JP, where it was compulsory, where kids had been taken out of maths and put into business economics, I still had to try and get them through matric, and I think that was where I was my strength, is to actually get the weaker kids through. It's quite depressing, Chris, what you've just said now, because South Africa's record in maths and science is pretty awful. It is pretty awful, and I think um, very often the kids land up in, uh, you know, what I know is standard eight, grade 10, 11, where the mathematical ability, the bus is already gone, because we haven't had the proper grounding. Any regrets about leaving teaching? You've had a no. tumultuous career. No, not, not at all. I think, firstly, uh, by the time I'd finished teaching, I was getting bored with it. So I was already at the career stage where I was, if I'd stayed, I'd become a deputy headmaster and more into the managerial and um, administrative side of the school rather than actual teaching. So you join APSA, yes. you're now in the commercial world, you're yes. now with a bunch of traders at yes. a, a major bank in South Africa. Did they listen to you from the outset? No. Um, in fact, one of the most interesting experiences being introduced into the dealing room on day one, met the senior trader who was very, very off colour. He was sitting in his chair, didn't even get up. He looked up at me and said, now why the hell should I listen to you? And that was one of the best questions. I said, why the hell should he listen to me? He's a veteran trader. He's been there. He's done that. You know, what value can I add? And that was, a, it was really a good question to have to answer. We eventually got on very, very well because I, I think I could step up to the plate and actually deliver something that he would want to hear from me. 
I think I had an advantage in the sense I had an economic background and also the science background. And, and the, the, the economics is very much model-driven where you try and understand reality through a model and you build the model and you explain the model and if it doesn't meet with reality, you try and manipulate reality back to your model. And in the physics world, you've got the cause and effect. You know, you do this and that happens. You do it again and it gets repeated, etc. That's that's physics. And I think that combination of thinking helped me to look at this this world of markets and economics and the interface in a different way. And I can remember in 2001, and I picked up a particular relationship in the market which was not with the economics. The economics is you raise interest rates and the currency strengthens, you cut interest rates and the currency would weaken. And I was actually picking up that the rand was behaving exactly the opposite. The rand had blown out to 12 rand 80, the awful level of 12 rand 80 at that stage, and it come started to come back. And uh, we were on the verge of interest rate cuts, and there was that whole controversy about whether the CPR was measured correctly and they actually had an adjustment to CPR which is never done okay but they actually adjusted it backwards and they cut interest rates at the next meeting and my prediction was they cut interest rates and this rand is going to start strengthening it's going to strengthen on a fairly long-term basis because cutting strengthen lower inflation more cutting etc it would be a self-reinforcing trend and of course that is exactly what happened. So I was one of the two economists that were predicting interest rates that were coming down lower and further than expected. Um, I can remember when I was doing um, in an MBA class and the lecture was just showing what the market is saying about interest rates and showing that the next move in interest rates is going to be up according to the market and that. Everybody looked at me and said, what do you say? I said, the next move is down. <laughs> okay. And we had two more cuts after that because we were actually going what was against people's life experience of permanent rand weakness. So you couldn't get your mind around rand strength. You know, that's where I really made my name is at that particular point. Swimming against the tide. Yeah. Thinking differently. It's thinking differently, but also prepared to say it publicly, because I think you, you, in the general economics, as you say, what's the consensus? Is it, oh, I'm away from consensus. I need to th- readjust my thinking. You know, people don't back themselves. It doesn't mean that you're always right. But I you've never had a problem with that, with backing yourself. No, I don't. I think the reason is in the dealing room, we already had the, the, the dot-com bubble um, that had burst and the, the, the scandal on analysis where you had an analyst coming along and saying, uh, backing this and buy this and in private saying this is a piece of rubbish. And clearly they had a different private view to the public view that they had. And I said in the dealing room, the dealers already know the house view. They want to know what my view is. In fact, they insisted on that. So I can't go to their customers and tell them a different view, hiding behind a house view type of thing. Certainly not in a dealing room environment. Were you successful? Yes. The senior management at at, at APSA actually backed me. And and I think partly because I was right. I was getting the rand right and I was getting interest rate right at that that time, which which meant that, you know, the house view was struggling from that point of view. You're listening to the Alec Hogg Show from Biz News. You mentioned the MBA, and there's quite a lot spoken about that. Another controversy of yours yes. was your qualifications uh, at yeah. the time that the whole Twitter sphere yeah, went when, crazy about you. But t- 
tell us the story there. You you grew up as a twin. Yes, I was an identical twin brother and started on the path of the, the MBA. And I th- was doing okay in that. And then the, the time came to do the, the dissertation. And that was at that point my brother was murdered. Uh, and that was an exceptionally d- difficult time at the, t- at, you know, in my life, as you can appreciate. And um, I then did not complete the MBA. All right, so that was one of the things that I could say in my life. I'm saying, okay, I'm, it would have been nice to have finished, but it, it, I've never felt as though I haven't been able to function because I haven't had it. I've certainly got um, sufficient, but certainly in terms of qualifications, I think one of the issues was is that I've never made it an issue, and then somebody that tried to make it an issue, and... Um, there's never been a problem. I've got a, uh, a high diploma in education in science teaching. That's a four-year thing. And a th- uh, BCom, which is three years, it's seven years. Post-matric studies. Um, the MBA I've never claimed um, as a qualification. But let's just get back to that. Your twin, were you guys close? Very, very close. We, you know, we did almost everything together. He worked for receiver of revenue. I can't help thinking that it may have been a hit because of the nature of what, what happened. He was literally a single shot, uh, side of the road, nothing stolen. Um, it had all the hallmarks of a, of, a, of a hit type of thing. You must have investigated. Did you uh, turn anything up? Let's put it this way. That's when you really learn the issues of service delivery, and that's our police pay more attention to recovering traffic fines than they do to actually investigate anything of a criminal nature. And we can see that um, even with the, the corruption, etc. I've got no, you know, very little... Um, uh, when it yeah, happens to you personally, yeah. there's, uh, it, it has to affect your view. Yeah, it, it, it does. And in fact, I use that as an example. If you are driving along and you hit a roadblock, if I had family members that were traffic officers, I'd land up there and say, cool, these are people doing their job and all the rest of it. I just see it as harassment and say, you're putting more effort to to recovering traffic fines than you are prepared to do to actually investigate murders and that that type of thing. And it just really reflects the way your life experience can actually interface with the situation, two different people, same situation, and you'll have different reactions. And that's what, in a sense, one needs to understand about different people in terms of how they, how they would react. How did your parents cope with that? Oh, it's, it was very, very difficult. Um, it certainly broke my father. My father since died, but my mother is, is also still, it's, it's difficult. It's really, 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 very difficult for us to cope because we really are quite a small family and so it, it makes quite a big difference and you never thought enough of this place let me go and find somewhere else no in the world no no i um rooted here i really am despite everything you know everything that's happened to me i'm still very very excited to be here it doesn't mean that i'm not a critic or anything like that i'm still a very very uh, outspoken but i a little bit more circumspect at the moment because of uh, you know out of you know the business that we started. I think we we've started a business that is um, there to make a difference. That's mm. that's the main thing. Yeah. Move on to 2016. Mm-hmm. During this period, you you left Absa. You went to Investment Solutions. In fact, wrote a book with yes. Glenn Silverman. We wrote that book when the bricks were on the crest of the wave. 
We called it halfway there because we said it's not certain that they'll make it. We, we had the image that, you know, you get to half time and you're winning. Doesn't mean you're going to win the match, mm. all right? And that the bricks were winning at the time, but we picked up things that reflect some caution. We really outlined the strengths, the problems, and the decisions people had to make to actually get across the line, to actually get from halfway there to all the way there. And we can quite clearly see that the bricks largely haven't got all the way there. At that time, yes. you seemed to have everything going for you. There was Glenn, a colleague of yours, yes. who wrote this amazing book, uh, which took a lot of research. You travelled yes. well to see it. Yes. You were often, we would talk on the radio, you yes. were very outspoken, and you had total freedom of expression. Yes. And you then decided to join Standard Bank, a big yes. corporate yes. where there is an obvious history yes. uh, with big corporates that you've you got to be more confined and you've got to be yeah. more restricted in what you say. What possessed you to make that career change, or was it the big bucks? Well, firstly, um, they headhunted, right? So it was nice to say, right, is this a step up and and not? But one of the things in my interviews I said, and and I made it very clear, that I'm a a free spirit, as it were, uh, and I've got that space at Investment Solutions, which is now Alexander Forbes Investment, a superb company, very happy there. There's, in, in other words, I'm sitting, minding my own business, and they they came and headhunted, which is fine. And I said, you know, I am, one of the, the value adds that I bring is that I'm an um, independent thinker. When I speak to audiences, there's two common feedbacks that I get. The first is they understood what I said, <laughs> and the second is that I actually reflected what I truly believed. In other words, I don't do the managed message. All right. And uh, Standard Bank couldn't cope with it. In fact, they said that's exactly why they're calling me because I was going into what's called wealth and investment. In other words, not their high net worth individuals, it's their ultra high net worth individuals. And, and they, they want the truth. They don't mm. buy the managed message. That's mm. the end of the day. All right. And I landed there, and I think I was hit immediately with the client base. Um, you know, I was already being overwhelmed with requests for presentations all, all, all over the place. But we had this um, political thing in the background, and the political thing in the background was another intersection which I again discovered post the event, but I was suspicious of it at the time. And that is a deliberate targeted hit, which is what actually had happened with the bell potting type of thing behind it. And it started off as the, um, I think, let's, let's, let me be careful, you know, because we've got certain agreements in place, but it mm-hmm. certainly started off when uh, Des Royen was appointed as the, the that's Minute right. of Finance. December 2015. I was sitting on my bed on a Sunday night at about 11 o'clock and my phone rings. And I thought, who the hell phones on a Sunday? All right. I looked at it. It must have been literally as it was, I, I answered it. And it was a reporter wanting a comment on Pravin Borg Gordon becoming Minister of Finance. 
Uh, this was after Des Van Ruin. Yes, weekend another special. was a weekend special. His so now Sunday pointed. night comes from So I, I wasn't, wasn't even aware of this, and I had this gup, gup, gup sort of response, you know, because, it, you know, I'm trying to get my, you know, thoughts together, you know, as to, A, has been fine, something dramatic has happened, clearly. And I went on Twitter at that stage, and I trended, because I was saying it's, Fabulous, because I've got a huge amount of respect for Pravin Gordon as an able, competent person, but I'm highly critical of his tenure as finance minister because he took us into junk. Okay, His policies took us into junk in terms of ramping up debt, uh, allowing... Anyway, we, mm. we, we can argue that. But I walked into Standard Bank already. I had two interviews lined up later that day about that, and ice cold. Right. No further interviews on this at all. So then, what happens there? Do you get instructed? Do you get that was an ins- mm-hmm. that was an absolute instruction, and I say from please, where? please from the top. Okay, and the, the reason is was I believe a good reason. Okay, in the sense that the heads of the bank had gone to Zuma and said you must change because the banks had taken strain, particularly you know, with their balance sheets and all the rest of it. The bond markets blowing up with the Des van Rooyen appointment. Basically, it was, you know, you've, you said you wanted the minister changed. You've now got the change, and now your analysts are busy criticising the change. <laughs> right. So I say, fair, that's, you know, there's mm. politics, etc. It's just sensible no, not to, to, to discuss. But they did, you know, they did come and said, you know, maybe you should just go off air for the next long while, you know. And, and I thought, no, there was a lot that was happening, and people were expecting me to hear. So we said... We won't comment on these issues and we'll keep back on that. You're listening to the Alec Hogg Show from Biz News. We were now heading to the municipal elections at that mm. stage. The ANC knew they were in trouble and they needed to do two things. One, get critics out of the way. So you'll notice, for instance, that I was nailed, but um, other critical economists were also silenced. They were not asked. Davy Ritz and, and, and Mike Schussler's just... Their profiles just went We're down. And, for a while. <laughs> and I can remember it in 2017 or 18 or anyway, it was one of, it doesn't really matter, sitting listening to a commentary on why the GDP was there. They were t- talking about the GDP coming out at 0.4 and the expectation was 0.6 growth and their expectation was like 0.5 and they were explaining why he was technically perfectly Correct, and I had to turn it off because he wasn't talking about the naught. <laughs> In other words, he wasn't talking mm. about the thing that would matter. Who's he? Uh, I can't even remember who it was. Some economist. Okay, but it's this insipid commentary has been mm. coming more and more, um, rather than actually getting to the real reason why we are heading into junk, and deep into junk, and continuing down the path, because you've got praise singers or the managed message and you can't say it like that, etc. Now, it's interesting because I actually believe that your analysts are, because you are conforming to the managed message and not what you think, is that you've got a serious problem if you had the FSCA investigating analysis as to whether you are complying with that big doctrine that you have to sign off, that it's independent thought, that you're not being influenced, that it is your real opinion. and That is nothing like that if you're coming off an institutional platform. 
And the other thing that, that shocked me almost to the core was how poor our journalism is. In other words, the media, I, I'm, I'm actually shocked because you do not get people who check their sources. And this, you could see, I, I think Donald Trump points this out. If you're not personally involved and it gets presented, you can't mm-hmm. actually see it's fake news. Mm. But behind the... My gosh, anyway. I, Where does that come from, do you think, Chris? I don't know. And do you think I, it's, an, it's agenda managed or just incompetence? I think there are agendas being pushed. I, I can't help thinking. And useful the idiots narrative, who are them. Narratives that get pushed and people are getting paid. So it's the same thing as that you don't get people who ask the right questions, check their sources, give right of reply or anything like that. So you've got this what we call woke culture, all right, cancel culture, which is then what I ran straight into. It, it, it becomes very toxic. If I read the tweet that yes. you made on a Sunday afternoon, yes, early January, so yes. most people are on leave. I'm just going to read it again. Yes. More than 25 years after apartheid ended, the victims are increasing along with a sense of entitlement yes. and hatred towards minorities. Yes. Now, certainly on Biz News, when yep. you have a look at the comments on that, there was a misunderstanding of why was, what was wrong with this. You well, then a, you, there was a Twitter storm that came out. Yes. Were you just minding your business one Sunday afternoon I, I and decided was sitting, to tweet? I was sitting at the beginning of the year. I thought, let me just put out a few things, right, to actually, and, and I, I actually got the whole sequence out. So in other words, there was a context of that tweet. Um, but I've, you know, obviously if that particular thing, I've had to look at it in its own, you know, out of context and, in other words, in its own right and in the context of what I've, what I've been putting down and I actually do not uh, I'd put it out again okay so, you, you know to me it, you've got snow f- snowflakes a lot of it was a bell potting and they could have taken any of my tweets mm. if you like that chose that one mm. okay for do you know for, it was bell potting um, I have a strong suspicion it was or, or certainly related because they used a lot of bots to mm-hmm. th- there was a lot of bots that started started the actual Did whole it come out in Gupta Leaks? Have you had a chance um, no, to check I haven't, that? I haven't mm-hmm. done that but it, it was part of that um, that thing because the ANC needed to get rid of their critics and they needed they needed to change the the narrative to actually say racism is the biggest issue of the municipal election, not service delivery, because they knew their own polls were telling them they were in trouble and they lost the metros of Joburg, Pretoria, mm. um, Port Elizabeth, etc. At that, at that particular time. So they knew they were in trouble, but they had... But this is 3rd of January. This is, this is Sunday. 3rd of January. You're putting out they, what you think is going to happen in the yes. year. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about, to my mind, the biggest issue, and there isn't a single biggest issue if you're actually properly prioritizing policy than, in, uh, than unemployment in South Africa. I don't believe you've got poverty, inequality, and unemployment. I think you've got unemployment, which has poverty and inequality consequences. Um, and that's the actual reason. Why do we have that unemployment rate is because we are going off on tangents mm-hmm. and distractions. But here's the um, tweet. So yes. you then spend the next four hours debating it. Yes. Why? So w- Why didn't you just disengage? Right. Well, basically I was trying to get, get this out and I was also at that stage trying to be accessible as an economist on Twitter. So when people challenge me, I try and deal with it. And I'm trying to deal with it in an honest way, whereas in actual fact, the attack was dishonest. It wasn't a genuine other, other than 
I think you, you'll have some people that could say they were genuinely offended, but they were being caught up with, you know, mm. with that. So, um, it was you know, a Bell Pottinger war room that was exactly. on They mm. were the ones that were, were busy punting that. And, and I know that because I haven't had any problems, and I do believe if I was genuinely racist, you know, that I would have had, you know, more problems than that. But it was really a one-off hit, you know, to, to do it. It's like, for instance, let you want to get at the pick a title, the current finance minister. So you trot out um, somebody who said, he raped me, you know, 20 years ago, etc. And he then has to resign, deal with it. You find out the allegations as rubbish, but you've achieved your goal. Mm-hmm. You've re- removed the person from their role because they've now had to f- focus on that. And, but the and bank blinked. This is the main thing in the whole story is you go mm. back to Standard Bank, mm. you, you go through a disciplinary hearing. Well, they threw me under the bus right at the beginning. You know, they put out a statement saying that they you know, don't support this racism. They never ever explained why this was racist. Did you ever discover why? Uh, because I think, let me say, the corporate world is a bully and a coward. In other words, they are petrified of the image and they blinked to the mob. I took a view and, and, and a lot of people said I just rolled over and let Standard Bank do their thing as I thought. What is my fight and my decision versus what somebody else's? Now, somebody else's say fight them. I'd still be fighting them and they've got a lot more resources than I do. Right, um, and it's, you know, not clear that you'd win, right? You know, there's David against Goliath, etc. They know that as well. So they can do that. And, and it's a pity because I, I, I really had fabulous colleagues there that I was getting to know, you know, very, very well. How long had you been there? I'd only been there three months, effectively. Wow. And I was enjoying the working environment as well. Besides the, you know, managed message, people coming to try and rein me in, I suppose. <laughs> Did you ever find out who appointed you or who was behind your appointment? No, no. Obviously, I, I know who was appointed, but I, I, I don't think they appointed you. In other Do words, they I know don't what think they were doing when you were appointed? Yes, I think that's the, the question. They specifically, you know, I did mm. establish they did want me there for my independent thought to actually interact with their clients on the basis that their clients were the ultra high net worth individuals that did not. Their, their, their managed message did not resonate with it, you know, that client base. But there was a limit, clearly, to yes. how far they were prepared to take it. But, but I tell you, I'll give you another example of, of what happened, not at the time, but to somebody else. And that was, and that was Andrew Cantor, where he actually stood up and said... He, at Future Growth. At, mm-hmm. That's at Future Growth. And he actually stood up and basically uh, said, we can't invest in government because of the corruption. And from an investor point of view, it's just not... You, you know, it's not tenable. And he was castigated. Old Mutual also blinked and all the rest of it, as he pointed out, is where was the investment community and analyst community backing him? I felt the same, is that people were too scared to say anything. They wanted to help. You didn't know whether if somebody said something that would help or hinder and that, that kind of thing. So it is a difficult when you when you're dealing with a mob, right? It's it's a mob. You know, there's no rational thinking about that, and that's what what you 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 have to actually deal. I suppose, with. and the worst thing there is that it was really a bots mob. 
It was, yes. wasn't it real? Well, it, <laughs> Not even well, a real no, no, there were some very real people that uh-huh. came in, and mm. there were certainly some people that, that disappointed me enormously, all right? Uh, even some people who I'd given money to that had actually climbed in, and I can't help thinking they were Trojan horses in my life anyway. Um, so it was interesting in terms of learning who I could trust and who I couldn't trust. Very interesting, for instance, a lot of journalists at SABC and um, Gupta TV around the back you actually reached out and and spoken we we interacted gave me a lot more confidence in their individual integrity as journalists it's uh, compared to some of the let's call it private news thing who were you know more woke and sort of jumping in on the bandwagon without any you know people who are who are new who didn't at any stage phone and actually say, what did you mean? I, I didn't expect people to agree with me, but I would expect a journalist to check their source and at least give right of reply. You know, that's, that, that's at least, you know, that's the least that one would expect um, as, as basic journalistic integrity. And that's where you realize it's just not there. You're listening to The Alec Hogg Show from Biz News. It didn't take long for you to leave Standard Bank then. You resigned. No. Yes. Did they pay you handsomely to do that? Nope. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, again, uh, that couldn't be seen to be paying out. So we, we came to an agreement. A lot of it is confidential. And um, I'm happy, they're happy, and we carried on with our lives. And that was, a, to my mind, an excellent decision on my behalf. I went to actually start to pursue a dream of mine that had already started to formulate at Investment Solutions as said, how can you mobilize institutional money into what I call the impact space? And I was one of the more prickly, I was chief strategist at Investment Solutions on the Investment Committee when people would come with what they call sustainable, responsible investing ideas, I would tend to be the person who chased them out the room. Uh, when I say chase them out, I say that figuratively. Um, I, I always believe in being polite and that, that type of thing. Um, but to me, we were managing 350 billion rand in, in pension money. I said, we're already managing all of it sustainably and responsibly. You know, what do you mean by sustainable and responsible investing? And usually they're meant a charity. In other words, we want to do wonderful things with your money. And I'm Intentions were noble, etc. But I say you don't do that with pension money. Pensioners do not have a second chance when they get to pension. And we say, we've done wonderful things with your money. Uh, just terribly sorry about your pension. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't do that to somebody. They, you know, individuals can't take on the burden of society of whatever you want to. You know, whatever you do, there are places for charity. I do not oppose charities, but pension money is not. You know, not where you should be. And, and what makes your company Impact Investment Africa, of which I've got your business card in my yes. hand, you are the executive chairman. What yes. makes you different to those charities? Is that we start off that any anything that we try and apply investor money to must have a commercial merit. Uh, that's the starting off point. Uh, commercial merit. We then, you know, look at the the other impacts. We specifically look at impacts that we are we believe are Africa relevant. In other words, jobs, food security, housing education, 
and also business ownership. So we are looking to fund people into their businesses, not out of their businesses. That's one of the big problems that venture capital has, is that you come to me with a wonderful idea, say, we'll love your idea, we'll fund it, but we'll take 70% of your business. Now, you know, that, that to me defeats the object. And specifically, we're looking at generating business ownership in communities that do not necessarily have business ownership leadership skills, all right? And I can give an example. I go to Botswana a lot. I drive through a little town called Zerist on the way, and then up north there's two little villages next to each other. There, in those little villages, there are no businesses. They're traditional villages, agrarian, and um, the nice houses that are being built there are because of people who've moved to Pretoria, getting a nice civil service salary, building a house back home that type of thing, but um, if you get a formal job in the town, you've made it, all right? And that's the kind of thing we want to actually look to see. Can we actually get the business leadership to say, you go into business, you do well, and that's why you do well, and that gives the aspiration to other people in the community that you can be looked up to as a business person who is doing well because you're doing, you are in business, how, how not because you you're doing drugs or be, yeah. you know that that kind of thing. How long have you been at it? Uh, three years now. And it's, it's been three years. We look in, in asset management. It's a case of it's almost like the person getting a job. Right, you, you get a job when you've got experience, but you need a job to get experience. So you need assets under management to gain a track record. All right, but you can't get assets until you've got a track record. So you. you so we, we, in a sense, just emerging from that chasm as impact, we've now uh, gone into the Section 12J, investing with, a, with what I call is a fairly unique model, and we've actually started to raise money for businesses in a fairly significant way. We're one of the few 12J asset managers that says you can bring any project you like, and we'll try and raise funds for you. So we started off in August last year with this particular model with zero on the books. We went to 130 million by February. Wow. And for six projects, we've now got over 35 projects that we are on various stages of evaluation to actually come onto that to, to raise money. So we, in a sense, while businesses are being shut down and really are struggling because of this uh, virus shutdown, we are actually experiencing a boom. So you've got a good business going, impact mm. investment. You're doing good there. I see your Twitter followers have gone from 25,000 in 2016 when the Twitter side uh, uh, occurred to yes. 33,000 yes. today. So you've got many more people following yes. you. Are you still, uh, well, I don't have to ask you, mm. are you still, you are still out there. You are yes. still very independent in your thought and anybody who follows yes. you on Twitter will see that. Yes, I so do. you haven't learned your lesson yet. No, I still, I, I still am tweeting, but I'm not engaging on on Twitter. All right, because I think that's a mistake. You do it if they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, they must. The snowflakes must deal with it. Okay, that's it, etc. People know what their life experience is in this particular economy. We know we are in trouble. Okay, that's you know people must understand that. There's no way to sugarcoat that, and the route that we're going is. You know, I, I see what, what the, the Ramaphosa government and presidency is. I have seen no change in the direction from a point of view in principle 
right, in terms of things like national health, things that will break the actual um, fiscal position, we're still going down that route. Made worse by COVID-19? We were in trouble before this lockdown. We were already in recession and it's almost like we're in recession and being plunged into depression. So um, 2.2 million jobs have been lost. And the problem is before this corona, and I'm going to say hysteria, all right, uh, and that's just my, my way of putting it, is that I, I would have accepted if they shut the economy down for a month to prepare, and then after that month you say, right, you now know what to do, you take responsibility for yourself. As the government, they can't protect me from normal crime. How the hell are they going to protect me from a virus? I mean, it, it goes beyond description. And I think we already know enough now that this this has lower morbidity than normal flu and normal TB, and you know, which is transmitted in the same way. We didn't shut the economy down for those diseases at all. Um, so, and then a whole heap of measures that are not fit for purpose, all right, uh, immediately gives me a sense of if it's not fit for purpose, what the hell is the purpose then for? Um, So I I don't trust what's going on. We don't have a government that we can trust uh, and that we can see even during the corona, the, the rampant corruption to the point of Looting. It's not just skimming, right? I know people point to, but the nationalist government was also corrupt. They were skimmers. These are just, we just take the whole lot, you know, type of, um, there's no repercussions. So I, I look at the, the, this corona thing. 300,000 South Africans have been given fines for measures like not wearing a mask or, or something like that. Each fine comes with a criminal record. And during that whole time, how much effort has been put in to actually dealing with corruption? If anything, it, it just manifests itself over and over again with the, um, the contracts, the tenders that were you know, put out. It just goes mad. So, so are, are we looking at a sort of Alice in Wonderland mad at his tea party? And you still stay yeah. here, despite that yeah. view? Well, I think because it is the land of my birth. I can't even find grandparents in my lineage on both my father's and mother's side that came from any other country than South Africa. And why should you leave, I guess? Exactly. If you're forced to leave, this this could create a Twitter storm and say, what improvement did the current government make? And I don't see much in terms of improvement, in fact, I can see a lot of deterioration that, that is actually taking place. And that's basically when I look at this unemployment rate. I see in one end, at upper echelons of the party, the Bentleys, the Lamborghinis and that kind of thing, that sheer excess that's occurring at that level and the actual sheer um, the desperation, the, 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 the misery that people are living in with with their, their unemployment, etc. And I, I do believe that we can mobilise investment into this place. I think one of the things that, you know, in, in my, my business mind, etc., you'd say, you know where it says, I think in the Bible it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, you can just chuck it away and leave it on. I cannot help thinking that our, our financial institutions, our banks have lost their saltiness certainly for the grassroots of our society. For the top 1%, it works very well. You know, if you're top 40 company, you've got access to the best credit, the, the best deposit rates, it, it's a no problems. 
but you go underneath there, there's increasing their drought. And this is where we're trying to do as a financial institution. It might be small, but we're trying to actually get money back into the roots of the economy, right, where I do believe that there's a lot of opportunity. Um, I, I look at this country and you say, we can look at all the buildings, all the roads, the cars, that we can double up on everything, all right? Um, and, and that's what we need to do to actually accommodate everybody in the economy. If we want full employment, we have to double up on everything we have got. That is just massive opportunities if we just have a government that would not be a business prevention government. Okay, that's basically what we've got, is that we've got too much business prevention measures in place uh, to actually do it. And one of the things in economics, it's not, and there's not a lot of absolutes, but one of the absolutes we can have is that there is no other source of wealth creation in an e- economy, in a society, other than through business activity. Some sort of enterprise business activity is where the value chain starts. Okay, and very often when I listen to even academics, etc., when they're talking, you can hear they have no clue as to the actual source of their wealth. When will the penny drop? What's it going to take? I don't think it is because you, the, the, the discussion is too... Uh, it, firstly, I don't think there's a single person in Parliament that I know of that actually understands an economic issue at all. Right? It's all social justice issues. And then, of course, you've got this insipid commentary which won't actually tell the truth, you know, in terms of what is the actual real problem in the economy. And you've got ideological, you know, distortions, um, you know, where you've got Marxists, um, failed Marxist policies being pushed very, very hard. And that seems to be these funny little think tanks that that, that are around that have, that are actually quite close to the, the, the policy making. So what the, happens then, Chris, if you have this... Well, we're going, to, we're going to continue going into decline as, as an overall economy. That doesn't mean I as an individual need to actually just accept it. I do believe as an individual, I understand what's going on, and I think I can um, leverage off the opportunities that that, that, that actually presents. But um, I, I wish it was understood, you know, but, but I, I, you know, I don't believe that we're going to actually see that. So what um, gets you up in the morning if, if you have this pretty gloomy outlook for the country as a well, whole. Well, because I'm not, I, I use the image, if you look at a situation, you'll be pessimistic or optimistic about it. And that's when you look at it. If you look through it, you see the opportunities that, that the, the, the circumstances actually present. So, I, I, you know, in markets, I'll give you an example. For instance, if you said, we're going into a huge boom. If your portfolio is sitting with bomb, bonds, that's a disaster because bonds do badly in a boom, all right? Um, whereas if you say we're going into this, you know, big, long decline, right, the opportunity is bonds, <laughs> okay? There's an opportunity that comes out of a set of circumstances um, that you need to actually, if, if you can describe it accurately, it's important to, to, to actually do it. So where um, are we going? If you can look back mm, in five years. We're taking the slow cooker route because the Ramaphosa effect is that it shored up confidence but I believe falsely so and that the Ramaphosa effect has actually slowed it down which is probably the worst. I actually rooted for, of course Zanad Lemini Zuma to come in because you would have probably seen the last election minority and the need for a coalition government 
okay, that's what would have happened. But he shored it it up, which meant that we sapped the strength and capability and capacity of the economy slowly over time. Rather, if you go into deep, quick downturn, you've still got the capability and capacity for the actual resurgence. But we may end up at the end of the line with our best talent and all that immigrated and, and, and the very difficult path back up to you know, where we could have been. You've been listening to another Biz News production. Be sure to catch all our podcasts by subscribing to Biz News Radio on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or by visiting biznews.com. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.